Hey y'all! Welcome to Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia of The Wander School. Each episode, I bring you stories, tips, and tricks from foragers and wildcrafters around the world to empower you on your wild path. Please remember to practice safe foraging by being 100% positive of your identification before consuming anything wild. Happy listening! Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. I'm here to tell you that medicine don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground. The medicine we need grows all around us. Hey there, it's me, Abby Artemisia. Welcome back to this very special episode. Today we have a very wonderful, amazing guest. But first, I just want to ask if you like this episode, I hope you will like it on whatever platform you are listening to it on. Subscribe to the channel and leave comments. And if you would like to support the production and get cool bonus material, please become a member and join us at patreon.com slash the wonder school. So today we have a very honored guest and that is Amy Walker. She's actually my granny. She recently adopted me and she is so very special to me. So I'm so grateful to have her here. And without further ado, I will let her introduce herself. Hi, Granny. Hello. You want to tell us a little bit about yourself? I could go on for days. (laughs) (laughs) But I'll keep it short. My lineage on my mother's side, she's Cherokee, full-blood Cherokee. And my dad came here from South Dakota in the early 40s or late 1939 and met my mom. He is Lakota Sioux. And so I have a diverse lineage. And I've utilized in my life some of each different uh, tribal in their ceremonies. But I have found that. in my own growth, there's no contradiction. It's just different ways that the different tribes uh, saw themselves and who they are within the relationship to the earth and and the energy force that creates all life and whatever name that there is around the world. We all have that, a different name that we understand in our own culture. And so that's, I'm um, the second child of eight children. There was five boys and three girls. And I only have two two brothers left and um of course two sisters. We're still here. And uh so over the years growing up, I grew up in an all Anglo community over in Tennessee. My mom and dad moved there because of the gas rationing when they bombed Pearl Harbor in North Carolina. They started rationing gas, and he traveled a lot, and 
he presented his culture to the different schools until us children grew up enough to have to start to school. And so that had to change. But he was an herbal medicine man. He doctored people with medicines and with different physical things that he used. And my mother prepared a lot of the teas and and the medicines and went and gathered them because where he lived, he didn't have the same kind of plants that they used. So my mom is the one who contributed to putting together the the medicines for the people. He would diagnose and um, tell her what he needed. And so then, and I'd gone with her at different times out together, maybe a bark off of trees or to dig a plant up, depending on what it was that she needed to use. And so this has uh, been my whole life. And as I grew up, I did not have an idea about who I was. And I struggled until I was almost 45 years old. And it was then that I realized when I went out to one of our Cherokee ceremonies in Oklahoma, did I finally understand what it meant to be a Cherokee woman. And so that's where I found my groundedness. And, uh, but I've been, I started using different ceremonies because during my early years, my 20s, I drank alcohol. And when I got sober in 29, that's whenever I began my search for who I was and how to stay sober. And also married at that time at 29. So, um, and I married a Cherokee man from Oklahoma who was probably in the same position that I was. He didn't know who he was either. But as time went on, I began my own spiritual journey. And I have gone and used, participated in my dad's ceremonies and my mother's ceremonies, Cherokees. And I've grown to understand a little bit more about what it means to be here walking this earth and and doing the things that I do to support and to help myself and my family and my community in the different ways. And uh, this has just been a wonderful journey for me. And I lost a daughter last July the 31st, 2020, uh, to cancer. And I used to say that we were human beings that had the spirit of the Creator in us. But I've come to believe that we were were a spirit having a human experience. And that once we, I began to look at it that way, I understood that I had to even be more careful about my choices, about what I did, what I said, what I grew, where I went. And to just acknowledge that aspect and how I, the newness of looking at it that way, and so this is what I do today. I, I'll, I have a master's degree in social work. And, uh, but before I retired, I started farming because we had to grow up uh, raising our own food because my dad died when I was 10 years old. And that's how we were able to feed ourselves, by gathering wild plants, by raising our own foods. And by doing whatever kind of work out there in the community where we grew up, picking blackberries, picking strawberries. My brothers used to go and help 
gather hay in for farmers. And so this is how we made it. And then I was able to come back to live amongst my people here in Cherokee. And so this is where I'm at today. Hmm. Thank you so much for sharing that. I appreciate that. I haven't heard some of that. Oh, that's just a little scary. (laughs) (laughs) So we got a little bit of your background. Can you say a little bit more maybe about some memories you have from your childhood or go further into why your family would harvest wild plants? I, um, like I said, I grew up in an all-white community over in, down in the Cumberland Valley, south of Cookville, Tennessee. That's where our dad bought some land and his gravesite is still over there in that close to that community where when he passed in 51 the last day of 1951 and so we my mother then was pregnant with her last child and we had to get out and do the work um like i said in the community and and as children we could pick strawberries and things like that we'd get into a big old truck and we'd ride up about 30 or 40 miles to the top of a mountain and uh, where the, the people, there was a lot of strawberry fields in the springtime, or in whenever the strawberries were ripe. And then we would pick blackberries, and sometimes there would be someone maybe have a little cotton field. We'd pick cotton. And it was those kinds of things that we did to, to feed ourselves. But that community was good to us. They brought, at Christmas time, they always brought fruits and candy, and a lot of people would give us used clothing. And uh, I just remember mom getting certain coats, and uh, she would take them apart and sew them together and make blankets for us to, to put on the bed. And that was the way that she would use some of the clothing. Of course, she sewed and she cooked uh, and uh, those kinds of things that. Uh, wherever we could make a little money and people would bring us food at times and uh they they really took good care of us because maybe maybe in a one way we're a little bit of a novelty being the only native american family within who knows how many miles around and so uh but growing up i grew up in a culture that was alien to me and so uh it was very hard for me to have an idea about who I, I was. Although now I look back, mom still did things that were very culturally oriented as, as a Cherokee woman. And so, uh, but it took me until I was 45 years old to understand, begin that understanding and to find out who I really was and what it meant to be a Cherokee woman. And from that time on, I uh, become rooted, and I didn't feel like a tumbleweed being blown whichever way the wind blew because I wasn't rooted in, in my own culture, and I did not know what it meant to be a Native American woman. And, and as a young girl and a young woman, most of my male friends were, were not Indian. And so this is, and I went to, uh, to a school where there was all uh, 
I don't even remember if there was any uh, black children at that time in the school that I went to. And so I was probably the only novelty there. <laughs> and uh, But anyway, I was really, really shy. And only after I got sober at 29 years old did I begin to find out who I was and, and to feel nurture that aspect of who I was. And I remember after 10 years of being sober, I uh, was getting ready to go to work one day, and I realized that I like me, <laughs> that I, you know, we all know of what we've done, and we don't always tell people. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so just knowing that I didn't fit, and I struggled, and I made bad choices in my life, it was hard. And then I began that journey then of looking at who I was in a totally different way. And uh, that's where I really begin to blossom. But I guess I look at my life like a plant you sh- that you put a seed in the ground. And I wonder how hard it struggles to get up out of the ground and begin the process of growing, such as a grain of corn or a uh, a little bean seed, or any other plant that we put in our garden or that grows wild, that it has to come out of the ground after the ground gets warm enough to begin its growth. Then over the summer or over the years, it depends on whether they just live one year or if they live many years, like vines, grapevines, and uh, they progress over many years. And then when they get a certain age, you begin to produce. And that's how I look at my life. I try to compare myself as to the production of some of the plants that I, I raise in my garden and uh, how, what is my fruit. And that part, I've come to realize that what I share about my own personal life, my own traditional beliefs, is. Uh, nourishment to certain individuals who come through my life and uh, who need that encouragement from me. Because we all, in my teachings, everything has value, no matter what it is. And sometimes we have to look hard to find that value. But other times, things are very easy for us to see the value in certain things. And so that's, that's us as human beings. And so once we know that we do have value, then we can be rooted like those plants. We can take our stand in our truth and grow from there and produce. Some of us has a lot of different gifts. Some may just find one. Doesn't matter. That gift belongs to you and you nurture it and you make it worth something. If for nobody else to yourself. (laughs) that was awesome and a great reminder thank you so i know before we started recording you were talking about going out to pick wild plants with your mom do you want to talk about that a little bit well whenever we were growing up we had to my she did not have a, a social security number for our dad and i understand that he was in the service at some point but In the last few years, I've come to realize that maybe his name, he must have changed his name. And so 
she wasn't able to get any monies to raise us children on. And so we we, uh, had to struggle. My mom never worked outside of the home. She always was a homemaker, and she supported our dad and and what he did in doctrine and making. He was the the money maker in the family and provider and a farmer. Of course, my mom really was the farmer. She had to help him learn how to plant, and he saw tobacco growing here, and he wanted to know how come there was so much cabbage out in the field. He didn't even know <laughs> the difference in what a cabbage plant looked like and a tobacco plant. Because <laughs> where my dad was raised, they traveled. They, they took their home, and took their teepee poles down and put them, on, put them on the horse and let the horse drag their home somewhere else. And then they set it up. And they, so they followed the plants and the, the food and the buffalo to do the same thing that we Cherokees didn't have to do. We, we lived in homes here. And so this is a, it was a great difference for, for him to be married to my mom. And so, but whenever he passed, we struggled sometimes to have meals. But most of the time she would find something out there to add to if it was potatoes or whatever. And we, we did get, gather a lot of greens. Uh, we gathered berries, wild berries, and of course we could sell some, And but we did a lot of canning and putting up the food for the winter. Feeding eight, eight kids and herself was not easy, mm-hmm. but we never went hungry. May have been close, but we never went hungry. And she lived on a little old welfare check until we moved back to North Carolina. And so when she... But she was a basket weaver. She could um, carve a little bit, but she she would uh, make honeysuckle vine baskets, white oak baskets. She would bottom chairs. There was a lot of things that she she knew how to do, because our people, up until probably the fifties and sixties here in North Carolina, there wasn't much. Uh, jobs available. And so most of the people had to make things and gather things out of the woods and uh, fish and and, uh, kill animals to eat. And so that's how we lived. And uh, more like a lot of the uh, pioneers that moved here in the beginning when the first uh, groups of uh, Europeans began to move to this country. And so this is uh, and they learned a lot about what to eat and what to gather and what to kill and how to kill things. Because uh, a lot of the Europeans, I understand in the history I know, is that in England they took the jail people out of the jails and homeless people and brought them over here and put them off in Georgia and in Australia. And, and there's no telling where else that different peoples came from and that that's the your ancestors that are taking this class i guess (laughs) (laughs) most of them those that's been here for quite a few centuries and of course there's others people is still coming and um and so but mostly we hear about those individuals who live in central and south america 
but it's because of the Europeans that has come and set up ways of life that's so foreign to the native peoples. And it's gotten, and now even with climate change, I think it's going to affect everybody around the world. And so, to me, one of the things that's so important is to have a way of gathering and feeding ourselves from the land because we are of the land. We are the land. Mm. And so whenever we're born and when we pass, our bodies go back to the earth from whence it came. And so to get past the native peoples in these continents here, North, Central, and South America, you have to go a lot deeper than six feet down to get past all of the native peoples that has been here for this long. Mm-hmm. And so I have to love my mother. She, she provides everything that we need to sustain life. The air, the water, the fire, and um, what is the other? Oh, the sun and the moon. This whole universe works in such a way that we can... Well, our ancestors created calendars, clocks, watches that can count... We count time by seconds because of the movement of this whole universe. And we call it winter, spring, summer, and fall. And there's times during that time that we have celebrations that's important to different cultures. And for us, we celebrate daily and give thanks. And the best and most honest way to give thanks is how we choose to treat one another and this earth. Yep. (laughs) I agree. So I'm really grateful that you are willing to share this information publicly and really looking forward to seeing it all come together in the course. And I was just wondering why you think it's important to share this information. Because we all live here on this earth, depend on it. Every moment of every day, there's not a one of us that doesn't need what I've just described. Mm-hmm. And so I have lived through some turbulent times in my 79 years. But what is our grandchildren going to live through? What will they have mm-hmm. to enjoy that we have enjoyed? And if we do not be responsible and to take care of this earth, I don't know if they'll even be alive and or have mm-hmm. a place to live. And so that's how important it is. Yeah, that's pretty important. Mm -hmm. So is there anything specifically that you feel like people can do to take care of the earth moving forward? i tell you what I do, and I can't tell anybody else. (laughs) (laughs) I've got a a trash bin that I put uh, glass in, another one for plastics another one for aluminum, and I reuse. I, I just last fall had a, a little building refurbished, and I still have the tin 
and some of the boards that come off that needed replaced because they were rotten down along the bottom part of the building. And so um, I'm re- going to re- recycle that, mm-hmm. and I'm going to use it somewhere. Yeah, I can't just throw it away. Yeah. And so this is this is how important and how far I go in being careful and making choices about what do I do with the things that I no longer need here in this building. But excuse me, I can do it. Uh, put me a little. I think gonna put a little building up down by my garden so that I'll have a place to sit under. And with the hospice of my daughter last year. I couldn't go to the garden, and so my nephew has uh, uh, brought some of his people who are, live around Asheville. I'm not sure if some of them's north, south, east, west of Asheville, and uh, but they've been so wonderful and gracious to come help me. The other part of it is where I farm. It is the mother village of all Cherokee people. And uh, when I go there and I dig in the soil, and if I've got a a problem I want answered, I just put it out to the one who knows all things. And uh, usually by the end of the day, whenever I come out of the garden, I have the answer I need. And so it's, uh, and I tell people that's my church. And it is. Because there's over 11,000 graves, no, 1,000 graves down there on that land before they were forced to be and forced to move off of Mm -hmm. the land. Mm -hmm. But now in 95, Joyce Dugan, the chief, bought that land back. It came for sale, and she bought it back for the tribe. And so this land that we live on, we don't own it. Uh, It belongs to the whole tribe what little bit we've been able to hang on to. And so we get to use it. I own my home, the buildings, but the land doesn't belong to me. It belongs to those that's going to be coming after me. Mm -hmm. And this is is all we have. Yeah. Instead of the millions of acres that our ancestors lived on over the centuries. Yeah. So out of that, each person has to choose for themselves. What are they doing right now with their lives? And how can they figure out how that they can take care of this earth? But I believe most of all, we have to learn to love one another because of that value. We might not all speak the same language. We don't all look the same. We don't... um, but we can all have food. We can all have a place to call lay our heads down and rest. And it ain't just about money. Mm-hmm. And if we lose sight of that and just f- struggle to get more money, more money, more power, those people are very lonely, sad people. Because they can never have enough money. There is never enough. Yeah. But those of us who has what little we have and uh, we and we share, I go to bed at night. I know that I'm at peace, and that's how I can. I and and I'm <clears throat> at peace enough that my daughter had uh, cancer for four and a half years, and uh, I was to let her go, 
with gladness. Do I miss her? Not like I thought I would, but I know where she's at. Mm-hmm. She's out there in the universe with all, <clears throat> all of the uh, spirit beings that are not here having a human experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where she's at. Yeah. And she, she comes and visits me. So I'm not going to tell you how I know, but I do. Yeah. So she's still mine, and, and I have joy in thinking about who she was mm-hmm. in this life. That spirit being that she was, she used it to the 99% of her life, <laughs> and it makes me really proud. Mm-hmm. So why would I be sad? She did her thing, and she suffered at, at the end, but um, she doesn't suffer anymore. And so the only one that might give me pause is her 13-year-old and her 9-year-old that misses her. Yeah. And we can't even go see him right now because it's virus. <laughs> but hopefully that's going to come to a place that we can do that yeah. soon. Yeah. Well, I just think what you're doing with the garden is amazing. You're an incredible farmer from what I've seen. (laughs) And we talked just the other day about feeding people and how we both have a passion for feeding people and nobody can come into our homes without us offering them food. Uh And I know that a lot of that food that you offer people, whether it be something you cook or something you canned, has come raised. Or raised, yeah, has exactly, has come out of the garden. So, do you want to talk a little bit more about the garden? Maybe the size of it, what kinds of things you grow? We're going to go deeper in to either that or maybe some uh, local wild plants in our bonus interview for patrons. So, if you want to listen to that, tune in at patreon.com slash School. You can join for as little as five bucks a month, and it supports the production of these podcasts to get this important information out there. So, do you want to share some more about the garden and what you grow and how you grow it? Well, the garden, there's two of the most important plants that I put in the garden, and it's our corn. Mm-hmm. It's a, there's a, a, a village in Mexico that Corn was just a, a grass at one point. Mm-hmm. And they worked with that grass until it's uh, the corn I plant, it can grow 11 to 12 feet tall. Wow. And uh, we call it flower corn, but it, our first mother was corn woman. So that's uh, how we identify with corn. Very special, Shelu. And so it was the native peoples in this continents that had the corn when the Europeans came. You might have brought other kinds of uh, foods, maybe wheat or some of those. I, I don't even know the history of those others, but I do know about corn. And we had pumpkins and squash and, and, and we had a bean. And that's what I raise. It's a special bean that I raise. And uh, 
I had one come up, volunteer right outside me in my, where I park my cars. Not last year, but the year before. It was only one that came up. One small bean. And it grew and grew. And I stuck three poles up and it climbed that pole up to about eight feet. And then it just kept putting on vines. And <laughs> and I then put some metal poles around and stuck them in the ground. And by the time, right before it frosted last October, I think I gathered almost a half a bushel of green beans off of that one plant. Wow. And so, can I can I beat that with what I produce? I don't think there's any way. <laughs> but I'm the one that don't have to count. <laughs> I, I don't have to count what I uh, produce. Mm-hmm. That's the creator's job. It ain't mm-hmm. mine. Yeah. I do what my heart leads me to do. and uh, But I also raise quite a few other things. And I got a nephew that has been putting a little bit of medicine plants down there. And I got a row that we call the medicine row. And so this year, I don't know what we're going to put in there. But we've got lots of help. Those people that came here to help wants to come back. They love it, too. They've fallen in love with that, the mother town. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, and the tribe has uh, set aside a piece of property down there that our young people who go and into treatment and get sober from their addictions come out, and there's some of them chooses to plant in that mother town garden spot. That's that what the project is called. The Mother Town Guard. And you talk about learning about reconnecting with our mother. They do. And they some of them have said, Next year I'm gonna have my own garden in my you know, my backyard. And this is how that does it. And they, they stay sober. That's and they, they bring the food and give it to the elders. Huh? Yeah, this is this is well awesome. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep, that garden is amazing. Pretty big. What how big is the garden there? It's about four acres. Four acres, yeah. And you were pretty much growing it by yourself for a while, right? For about eighteen years. <laughs> Just eighteen. <laughs> I don't know how you do it, Granny. <laughs> well, I was younger then. <laughs> I'll be 80 years old come October if I live. Creator lets me live that long. So this is who I am today. So there, this year, listening to a 79-year-old woman. Mm-hmm. <laughs> the most amazing 79-year-old woman I know. Well, is there anything else that you want to share today? Anything you want to talk about or you think is important? Not right now. Okay. I think I'd, I'd be... Plowing over the same ground again. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So thank you for listening to me. Yeah. Thank you so much for being here and for sharing. Again, I'm really honored to be able to talk to you here and share with everyone listening. 
Um, we are going to go deeper in just for a few minutes in our bonus interview for patrons at patreon.com slash the wander school. So please join us there to talk more with Granny Amy Walker. And um, stay tuned for the Big Witch Indian Wisdom Initiative School and our fundamentals course, which we'll hopefully have a link up for uh, when this podcast comes out so you can get more Granny. <laughs> along with lots of other family members just teaching about all of this important information so thanks again everybody for listening please like the episode like the podcast subscribe to the channel leave comments support the production on patreon and get cool bonus material Thanks again, and I'll talk to you again soon. Happy foraging, wandering, and wildcrafting. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links from today's episode. Thanks so much to Tina and her pony for the use of their beautiful song, Medicine. I love hearing from all of you, so please leave me your comments. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast and share with folks you know. You can keep learning and following my adventures on thewanderschool.com and the Wanderschool Facebook and Instagram pages. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting. Come on, everyone, and gather around. Listen to the soothing in this sound. Here to tell you that medicine Don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground The medicine we need grows all around